This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. Today we're discussing how is it that you are to trust your own voice. So the answer is most likely you're not. You're dangerous and untrustworthy. Um, the person who thinks they should trust their own voice is of the most uh, probably the most likely the person who shouldn't the anything any voice that's in your head that says do this do, do that don't do this don't do that that voice in your head is super important you got to honor it tremendously you have to do everything except I think just the problem was the word trust trust is where it gets dangerous but to honor it, oh yes, you must honor it big time. You don't necessarily trust it, but you honor it. That voice in your head is, is if you ask a Christian, you know, they tell you it's the voice of God. Because whenever you meet Christians, they're always like, God told me to do this, and God told me to do that, and God told me to do this, and God told me. You meet a Jew, like, how come the Jew doesn't get God telling him what to do all day? You know, but the answer is, is that we distinguish between our that intuitive voice of ours and the voice of God. And that's probably because we're from a line of prophecy and we know, we know what God's word sounds like, you know, and we know what it feels like. You wind up shaking convulsively on the, you know, <laughs> on the earth, you know. And if, if you're going to hear God's voice, you're going to need a change of clothes, you know, because to us, hearing God's voice means experiencing prophecy. What's up, everybody? Please make yourselves at home. Uh, Anyone married here? So there's a table for two right there. And uh, and you can sit right across from them in that seat. Right there. Welcome. Just move that jacket. All right. Or hand her the jacket. Yeah, you just sit on her jacket. So what we were just saying is, how long are you two married, by the way? A year and a half. Mazel tov. A year and a half today. Yeah. You know what I always tell couples when they get married? Or when they're trying to figure out if they should be getting married? To listen to the voice inside of them. And the woman's voice should say, this is it. And the boy's voice should say, this is scary. Meaning because he's realizing the responsibility involved. Yeah. Did you get the this is it voice? Or was the opposite? You said this is it and she said this is scary? And you were still trying to figure it out. Okay, that can happen. <laughs> Welcome. So, anyway, so that voice inside of you is your intuition, and you got to really listen to it. And the, and that's now. Now I'll go back to saying it's the voice of God, just not the way the Christians look at it. What I mean by the voice of God is that God gave all of us the ability to, to hear stuff. Like, for example, that little tiny feeling you get in your heart when you're about to lie. And while you're saying it, while you're actually saying what you're saying, and it may not be a big lie, meaning, meaning it's just not really true what you're saying. And you know that feeling inside while you're saying it. I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about a big fat lie. I don't think there's a liar in the room. And if there is, you know, God should help you. You know, because your life's going to devolve, you know, terribly. It's going to unravel before it gets better and by the way for the rest of us if we can listen to that little feeling inside and just change lanes quickly towards truth 
we could honor that little feeling inside, you will see your life evolve rapidly. Like within a year, you'll be in an, you'll get to an unrecognizable uh, place that that you just, meaning you'll you'll grow so much and your life will get so put together that you'll be in a place that's unrecognizable from the previous year. If you just honor that little feeling inside that this isn't exactly true what I'm about to say or what I'm saying or what I'm doing or you know what I mean and so it's it's amazing how those who ignore that voice their lives devolve meaning they just unravel they get less integrated otherwise known as dis disintegrated and the uh, whereas those who honor that voice and that's from God that that feeling inside that's God inside of you because he gave every human being a compass every human being has a compass inside their heart and that compass is you know like the little thing that points north it's sometimes pointing south all of a sudden because we're we're doing something or we're saying something or we're talking to someone that we shouldn't be or interacting with the internet in a way we shouldn't be and you get the sense inside there's, there's a compass going the wrong way right now now you can ignore that and most do. Most do ignore that because they feel that they can get something out of it. There's some immediate benefit, you know, and, which is called being expedient. Look that up in the dictionary. It's not a good definition. Doesn't sound nice. It's usually, it's amazing that our dictionary, like if you look at it, anyone who's, got, who's a smartphone looker-upper, I'd appreciate it if you'd look up the word expedient right now and then raise your hand when you found it. Um, but meanwhile... The um, maybe you'll do it for us. You'll look up the word expedient. How do you spell it? Just do your best. Um, no, you're just going to Google the word. What does expedient mean? Or if you're Israeli, you can write what means expedient. So, <laughs> oh, you got okay. What's it mean? Convenient and practical, although possibly improper or immoral. But you get this immediacy of a benefit. And that's what's going on, is why would you? Why would you go away from your own north? Why would you veer south of north? You know, south of truth? And the answer is there's probably something expedient to benefit. Human beings always go for benefit. And so there's some kind of benefit here. But your life's going to unravel. <laughs> so it's like, are you crazy? You know, yeah, you're going to get some benefit, and then your life will unravel. So, like, you know, the, uh, we have a saying in Judaism, the wise person has, has her eyes in her head. The wise person sees the future and says, well, this may be expedient, but it's not a good idea for my character, which is, you know, your own personal energy is going to have a lot more to do with how you come out a year from now, than anything you say or do. Anything you say or do will have an impact, but it won't have as big an impact on the long term than your own personal energy. And so if you yourself will betray your own inner compass, whether frequently or infrequently, but you're willing to betray it, you're willing to not listen to that intuitive voice that says, this is not true, what I'm doing, saying, or being part of, or clicking on the online, or... If there's something not true about this, but it's expedient, you will, uh, you'll pay for that. 
in a way that costs so much more than whatever benefit you could ever get right now. So whatever it is that offers you, and it obviously offers something or you wouldn't be in that situation. And we're all like, is there anyone in this room who could say they're not in that situation daily? Where you don't get that little feeling daily? Like this just ain't right? Or it ain't true? We all get it. And we all get it every day. Because there is some benefit that's being available to us right now. Just a little micro-benefit. And sadly, so many people have numbed their relationship to that godly gift we've got inside that keeps us pointing north. So many people will ignore it. And that's and that you can't even explain that. Like like let's hear the the you know the atheist materialist evolutionist like explain where that thing's from. I mean that's just not gonna make any sense. If anything, you'd say we're better adapted, it's better evolution to go for the expedient. That would make sense for the evolutionists, why the expedient would work, and they'd never be able to explain why we devolve. Right? Like animals go for the expedient always. The whole plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the fish kingdom, the, you know, the mammals, like no matter the, the uh, primates, everyone's going for the expedient. They have found some animals that like will store stuff. There are some primates that will store, you know, they'll find a cache of nuts or something. Let's put that away for later. That's a very, very highly evolved type of thing to be doing because you know, it's not expedient. But what's interesting about that is it's not very moral. Because <laughs> who are they hiding it from? Most likely who? Their own. Their own. You know. You know meanwhile, uh, there's a street, a busy street called Shmuel Navi that gets, you know, there's a little part of it, of Shmuel Navi that gets shut down every spring. And every spring it gets shut down. And there's about 200 yards stacked about about as high as the ceiling here with produce for all the families who are going to be experiencing the pilgrimage festival of Passover to come, families that can't afford food will come from all over and pick it up and and have what to eat for Passover for the holiday. And that's the way we look at things. You know, because someone's voice points north to let's take care of each other here. Now, again, it would be hard to understand other things because there's, like, wolves hunt in packs, you know, and they're, they're cooperating, which means they're communicating, and, and, and killer whales hunt in packs, and there's a lot of communication going on when they're cruising around there. They've, they've evolved that somehow. So the evolution is at play here. But there's a lot of things that will be very hard to understand for the materialist atheist. Materialist means... <laughs> I know a lot of you think that it's an atheist who shops a lot, but it's not. And, and materialist atheism is is they believe that what you see is what you get. The material world is is the physical world. It doesn't mean they're going shopping to Castro or you know or to Fox or something. And, uh, materialist atheism. <laughs> So, so that's enough about that. But now let's go back to like, what do you do when your voice is telling you to do something or not to do something? And I said, don't trust it. 
And the reason why you shouldn't trust it, I don't think it requires a rabbi to tell you this. It's, I think anyone knows that you know you're highly biased. <laughs> you know you're you're too involved. You know there's too much emotion there, and you need to bounce this off somebody before you go listening to your voice. So your voice is super important. Tells you when to hit the gas, when to hit the brakes, and stuff. But when it's going to have you do something that's that's uh, you know a move that's a little bigger, and especially if it's going to affect other people, which may be your future spouse, or <laughs> so I, have to, I have to go bring my belt up. <laughs> we, uh, my family, we cleanse on Sundays from Shabbos food, so we the whole family goes cleanse mode on Sundays. And uh, so <laughs> my belt notch will go like, I'll, we'll eat, we eat dinner, dinner we eat. I had a, I had a lentil soup, but that's not, you know, going to prevent me from switching belch knots every belch knots, <laughs> belt knots, <laughs> belt knots every <laughs> couple hours. I promised to eat dinner, by the way, I will eat dinner. I have a rule that I only eat what my body uh, needs to eat. You know, whatever my body needs to eat, that's what I eat. The foods and the amounts, are, that's, that's what I eat. I don't eat anything else. And the, uh, I mean, I don't mind. I, on Shabbos, I had chocolate souffle with ice cream melting on it. You know, I don't mind having a little chocolate souffle. Did you have chocolate souffle on Shabbos? Yeah, you were there. I ate that. <laughs> We're surfers from California. <laughs> the only difference is he still looks like one. <laughs> but I have a much bigger impact when I get to the beach. Yeah. yeah. There's been some funny days in L.A. where the waves are really big, which is like I usually have horrible timing when I visit my parents. I think God wants me to have like a pure mitzvah of honoring my parents. So he makes sure there's no waves when I visit L.A. every time. And, I mean, I still surf, but I got to, like, drive somewhere. I got to, like, like, I went up to, I told you I went up to Santa Barbara that, just to get some waves. And the, um, so, and I remember one time the waves were really big. It was, like, uh, I don't know, maybe two and a half times overhead. So, like, another height of this ceiling, like, on top of this ceiling. And, and so I was so happy, and I was so excited that, now I pulled up in my father's Cadillac. Back when he used to drive Cadillacs. Do people still drive Cadillacs? <laughs> daddy's daddy's caddy. So I drive up my father's Cadillac. And all the surfers have gotten out of the water already because they've been out since like early morning. And uh, and but they were seeing how I was looking at the surf. Like cause surfers look at the waves differently than the rest of the people. And so and so they're watching that. I'm oh I came from Shul. So I'm, I'm in a you know long coat and a hat, and and they just think like this guy like popped out of some like some like Judaica museum, and uh, that's what the surfers were thinking. And then and then I take off you know I, oh so I'm like this is it. So I take off my suit and my hat and I go I open up the back of the back of the Cadillac and in the back seat is this is my board and. You know, I pull out my surfboard, and I'm pulling out my wetsuit, wrapping a towel around myself to change. That's our changing room, our towel. And these guys were like, you got to be kidding. And the waves are huge. So then they were really excited to watch the rabbi drown. 
anyway, so I dropped into a few of those waves, very excited, and ripped those waves to smithereens. And, and a couple of the guys actually paddled back out and said, who the hell are you? And I, they surfed with me for like, I mean, they were exhausted. They'd been surfing all morning, but they surfed with me for like another 20 minutes or half hour just to talk a little bit. We had a good time. Um, anyway, but they, the point is, is that if your voice tells you to do something, go speak it over with someone before you do anything. You always, you never trust your own voice. Your voice is, is highly biased, emotionally attached, subjective to the highest degree. Your voice is highly subjective. And in Judaism, we learn to always speak to a chacham, always speak to a mentor who's really been there, done that. Maybe they themselves haven't been there, done that, but they've counseled people for years and years and years and years who, were been, who had been there and done that. We don't do anything alone. We don't sing the song, I did it my way. That's not our song. Okay? That's not our song. That's, that's, uh, I think it was Korach who wrote that. So we, we don't sing that song. And we, we do it the way, we do it the way that, that are sagely advised, advi- the sagely people that we advise, that we advise, that we seek advice. What's the word? There's a fancy word for seeking counsel, but, but we seek counsel all the time, all the time. We don't make any move. I make no moves. No moves without seeking a lot of counsel. Now, I know a lot of young men who um, would love to be in my position at this point of their lives, meaning when they get to my point in my life, for various reasons of different things that I'm doing. And they don't realize that when I was your age, young man, I did not leave rabbis alone. I just didn't leave them alone. And I would go rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. You're not even supposed to rabbi shop. You're not supposed to rabbi shop. Um, but when they say you're not supposed to rabbi shop, that's more for a, a halachic decision, a, a legal decision in Jewish law. By the way, if you don't like what a rabbi told you because it was too stringent and you have a sense there's a more lenient opinion, you are allowed to rabbi shop, but you must tell the second or third or fourth rabbi you shop at what the other rabbi said. You have to say, I spoke to rabbi so-and-so. He said this. What's your opinion? You're allowed to do that. If you don't say that, you're not allowed to shop. You have to go with what the first rabbi told you. That is now the law. And you must, and meaning that's, that's Moses at Sinai telling you what you got to do. You feel it was stringent. You have a sense there's a more lenient opinion. Well, go share the stringent opinion with a rabbi who may be more lenient. By the way, the bigger the rabbi, the more lenient, or the bigger the rabbi, the more strict? The bigger the rabbi, the more lenient. Of course, of course, because, right, you know why? He understands all the laws, and he, he knows more. So he knows, like, the whole spectrum of how you can behave based in that, in that area. Whereas a rabbi is not as big, is probably going to know the more stricter stuff, just to make sure people don't fall into any pit holes, pit, you know, any potholes. But the biggest rabbi is going to know the whole spectrum of behavior in that particular situation. And will therefore, so that's why you, you, 
if you did rabbi shop, you're not going to a smaller rabbi. The smaller rabbis only get stricter. You're going to a bigger rabbi with a bigger knowledge base who understands really much bigger, like, swaths of Jewish law. And that's where you'll get your leniency. But you have to tell that bigger rabbi. Now, why wouldn't you just go to him in the first place? The answer is they're too busy for, for your... They're too busy. I mean, it's like a hassle. Because you could just call a rabbi. Call him on the phone and just ask. But, you know, when you go to those ones that know it all and can give you a much more lenient decision, so those rabbis are hard to get to. You can still get to them. They're here for us. They, they, they're waiting. You know, you go to them. But you got to... You know, you got to put in effort to get to such a rabbi. Anyway, but that's for Jewish law. When it comes to advice, like life advice, you know, if you have one Rebbe who's like really leading you in your life, so that's where you go. But if you're in a position where you have like five different rabbis, you would, you could potentially be getting advice from. If it's a serious thing, talk to all five. Talk to all five. So get all the different opinions. See what they think. You know, before I got married, for example, meaning before I asked my wife to marry me, I think I was in the 20s. I think I hit, not my age, I'm done at how many rabbis I spoke to. And, and not just rabbis, I spoke to Rebbitsons, I spoke to, uh, I spoke to a lot of people. A lot of people. Now, was I sure this was the girl for me before that? Yeah, for sure. In fact, I didn't even date. Meaning while I was in yeshiva, waiting for the rabbis to finally tap me on the shoulder and say, it's time to start dating, which they did. So when they finally tapped me on the shoulder around Hanukkah time. And they said, we feel around Passover time you're going to be ready to date. And so I said, okay, great, but I think I know who I want to start with. And they're like, okay, so who's that? And I said who it was. And Passover came. And... Uh, I don't know how I did this. I was probably just young and dumb because I wasn't supposed to call, but I called anyway. Meaning I, I, I'd never dated before. I didn't realize I'm not supposed to call. <laughs> I called her myself, which actually I wasn't supposed to do. You're supposed to actually have someone be a go-between. That way no one gets hurt. And, and you know, the go-between calls because she may say no or, or, she, or she may say yes just because you called. And she doesn't want to hurt your feelings and stuff. So Anyway, so you always use a go-between for such things, but... I didn't know better. I'd never dated. And Passover hit. The rabbis were probably busy making Passover. So I was like, okay, I'll call her. Got her number and called. And she was a teacher in a, in a women's seminary in Svat. But that's how it went. And, uh, and uh, anyway, but when it finally came time to ask her to marry me, I, I, um, which was actually even before that phone call, um, I spoke to over 20 people who I felt were really, really got it and, and knew her and got her and got me and I just never, I just wouldn't stop. And you want to know something? I want to give credit where credit's due is, uh, is the, the, the final hammer blow was from a great rabbi who's here in the old city named, named, uh, Mattis Weinberg. Mattis Weinberg in the old city is a, is a genius tremendous Torah scholar and and he actually didn't even finish listening to me he said something like if you guys if you if you feel you'll connect on those levels that you just shared 
He said, that's like, I know so many great couples that don't connect on those levels. And they're great couples. If you're already telling me you connect on all those, you'd connect on all those levels, he said, you could, you could marry her with your eyes closed. You don't, have to, you don't have to look at anything else. And it's true. Like, to the, those things, which was, you know what it was? I, I'll tell you what it was straight out. Is, is um, I really like, I really like dis- those all-night discussions where you like, are talking about like the truth of reality, like trying to get to the core of all things. Yeah, anyone know what I'm talking about? Those amazing all-night discussions where you you're just discovering what life's all about. So there are many people who like those discussions, but they like to talk about other things too. And when I all my years growing up that you know how you could know exactly when there was someone I was no longer going to go out with was if a girl ever said to me can we talk about something else (laughs) she thought like that was just a simple request she didn't realize that it was over like like it's I mean but it was like so over it was just a matter of like me breaking the news, you know, after that, you know, which I might have waited a day or two and just finally, like, sent a letter or something, like, like I don't think this is compatible or whatever, but, but that, that was the end of it right there. And so, and so I knew that this particular woman would never, ever say those words. She would just never, ever, those words will never come out of her mouth, ever. And now we're, we, we just had our 25th anniversary, and we still do all-nighters together, where we just talk all night long. And uh, it was a good move. <laughs> I, I, but I never gave credit to Ramatis. I don't think she even knows I spoke to Ramatis Weinberg, so, so he, he gets the credit. And um, all the rabbis got the credit, but he was like, when he said... Just go for it. Like you got what you, that's what you want. She's got that. You can forget about it. Any other concern? You just that's all you need. Okay, so I think I answered the question about your voice. Yeah, you got that. Okay, hope you enjoyed. Um, this class is going to continue. We're just going to restart the live feed. Um, oh no, it's four. Oh, it's perfect time. Um, please click on all the things you're supposed to click on depending on the platform you're on whether it's share, subscribe, follow what else could a person click on? Uh, I don't know um, but, but if you'd like to help us get the word out so join the media club it's called yomtobmediaclub.com yomtobmediaclub.com Shalom everybody it's Aloha You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com